Hello, Journey to Midwifery listeners, and welcome back to another week and another great episode. This week, I have on Ariel, who is a certified nurse midwife based out of Connecticut. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. But before we get started, I wanted to point you all in the direction of amidwifenation.com. If you have not heard of her website, please go check it out. There's so many resources on there. But this week, especially, she is releasing a book called The Successful Student Midwife, How to Rock Midwifery School and Set Yourself Up for Success After Graduation. What a great book. It is 31 pages filled full of lots of information to help you be successful. If you are interested, head over to amidwifenation.com, buy her book, enter the code JOURNEY for 10% off, and here's the great news, 100% of the proceeds are going towards a scholarship for a midwife. So you'll help yourself and you'll help another aspiring midwife. So go check it out. I hope you enjoy the episode today. Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This is a podcast for and about midwives. This is the place where midwives come to share their stories. I am your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself. I felt called to this journey of sharing the stories of midwives around the globe, and I hope that you will find as much joy listening as I do interviewing. Remember the quote, life is about the journey, not the destination. All right, welcome on to the Journey to Midwifery podcast, Ariel. It's nice to meet you. Um, Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, everyone. My name is Ariel, and I am a midwife in Connecticut. I have worked in the birth world pretty much my entire adult life. Um, And now I work at a really fabulous practice in Manchester, Connecticut, Manchester OBGYN, where we attend lots and lots of births. Uh, we have a busy practice and we cross cover for another practice, uh, Mansfield OBGYN, and we deliver at a small community hospital in Manchester, Connecticut, where we offer women whatever kind of birth experience that they would like. That means if you want an epidural or if you want a water birth, or if you want to deliver on your hands and knees, we kind of give women that autonomy, which is really nice because like I said, I've been in the birth world my entire my entire adult life. So I started. I think my story is kind of like the traditional climbing the ladders, old-fashioned story that we don't see much anymore. So I started before I even got out of high school. I had worked down the street at the local um, nursing home slash rehab center as a nurse's aide, and then I thought, oh, I want you know to do something a little bit more than this. So I got an EMT license but I didn't feel comfortable working on the rigs, like in the ambulance and going into people's homes, just as a young girl, it was not exactly the place I felt safest. So I got a job in the emergency room as a nurse tech. That experience was definitely invaluable because I got to see what sick patients really looked like and what healthy patients really looked like. And all the dynamics of the structure of the hospital system and nurses and doctors working together. And, you know, I did whatever task they asked of me, drawing blood, doing EKGs, assisting with things, and just got to see all kinds of cool and, you know, sad um, things. So then of course, naturally, the next step was become a nurse. So I went to nursing school while I worked in the ER. Um, so I became a nurse and one of the places, of course, that I loved in nursing school, as so many nurses do was labor and birth. And I thought, you know, labor and delivery is like the ER for pregnant women. Cause it's all of that same kind of like understanding when someone's in labor and when they're not understanding when someone is, da- is in danger and when they're not, but yet it's mostly healthy people. And the ER never wants to touch them. So it was like very similar, but, you know, entirely different. So fortunately there was a fabulous woman that I had worked with in the ER who put in a good word for me with the director um, of the family birthing center. And I landed a job as a labor and delivery nurse right out of school. So 
I remember, you know, those first few years of being a nurse in labor and delivery. And at one point in my life, I don't even know where this came from. You know, the idea of midwife was there in my mind. Somebody put it there. I don't know where it came from. I had always kind of thought maybe I'll be a midwife. I didn't even know what that meant. I was born at home with a midwife. So maybe she sprinkled some midwifery magic on me. Who knows um, if, if that's part of it or if my mom had kind of, you know, talked about that as, as I grew up. I don't really know where that came from. But back to here I am, this new grad in labor and delivery. And I remember thinking I could never do this. This is terrifying. You absolutely like have to have, you know, an incredible doctor to do this. <laughs> so that's kind of a funny memory I'll never forget is being like, oh my God, <laughs> this is really crazy. And then, you know, as time goes on, I would say probably if you're a labor and delivery nurse, by the time you hit about five years, you start to feel pretty good. You start to feel like, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing you know, lots of education on fetal monitoring and not so much education on physiologic birth. Um, And then, and then there's something happened between that, like five year mark of, I kind of get what's going on. And I started to not like the way women were being treated in labor. And I was like, why won't we let her eat? She hasn't eaten for three days. Can we just stop the pit and let her eat? You know, nope, she can't eat why like your body needs to eat when you're doing you know this active energetic hard process you know nope it's the rule everything was the rule why are we checking her again you just checked her two hours ago i'm upping the pit as fast as i can can you just not check her again she's going to get an infection nope it's the rule you know and it just became and we did have residents it was a teaching hospital so there's that there's that that's a whole different kind of dynamic than in a smaller community hospital And I remember the, we didn't have any midwives at this first hospital I worked at. And so I, you know, still then that was gone. Being a midwife was gone out of my mind at this point. Now it was just more of like, you know, did the patient doesn't want her water broken right now. She wants to go natural. We know it hurts a little bit more when their water's broken. She's doing great. She's progressing fine. Why do we have to break her water? Oh, the attending wants me to break her water. You know, the attending wants me to break her water. I got to do that. So, okay. You know, that's just the way things are. So um, it started to bother me more and more and more. And that, you know, that sort of became, and I get it. I get it. You know, the person who's in charge calling the shots does not want to be questioned. So that sort of probably, I probably became a little annoying that I would advocate for the patients and say, can we not do this? Can we, you know, can we try this? Can we do this instead? You know, but I just really cared about women and their birth experiences. Um, I had never seen a woman give birth in any other position, but lithotomy, but laying down flat on her back. Um, when I, when I left that first hospital. So long story short, something happened that I was, I stayed per diem there and I went somewhere else and where I went, they had midwives. And I remember I I worked with my first midwife, Jenny, who's now in, I think out in Seattle. And Jenny said, um, Jenny, when she took care of that first patient, she was like, well, what does the patient want? I, I don't even remember what the situation was, but my mouth was on the floor. I was like, wait, you're not gonna, you know, do whatever step that's gonna make the process happen faster. That's going to be good for all of our schedules because of the, what the patient said. And it just like blew my mind. And I thought that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. At that point, I had kind of considered going back for education. I was considering getting a master's degree for that. Um, but when I met Jenny and I watched how she took care of people, I was like, this is what I have to do. And so then, of course, like I said before, in the climbing the ladder fashion, I went back to school. Um, At first, I really had desperately wanted to go to Yale. I just wanted the name. I wanted the name on my, behind my name, you know, or the letters or the whatever, the, you know, the accolades. And at that time, Yale was giving most of their spots to the graduate entry um, nurse practitioners. So um, they didn't give a lot of spots to experienced nurses. Uh, who would, who were coming in. So they put me on their waiting list. 
And while they put me on their waiting list, um, a friend had said, did you check out the Bay State program? You know, I live in Connecticut, Bay State's in Massachusetts. She said, um, you should consider checking out their program. They put out really good midwives and, and they're not there. You know, it's a fraction of the cost of Yale. And so I thought, how am I going to pay for it? You know, Bay State's not a um, technically in order to get student aid or not even student aid, uh, student loans, excuse me. You know, it has to be a, a institution that's educational because Bay State, because of the way their program works, it's um, the certificate of midwifery. They're affiliated with the huge hospital system. You get part of your degree from Jefferson University. It's like a complicated, so it was a little bit harder as far as how was I gonna get the money to do this? How was I gonna get the loans? And I remember um, I was gardening one afternoon, you know, kind of, it's so kind of funny, these things, like I could have just given up and said, oh, well, if I ever get into Yale, I'll do it, or it's just not gonna work out or, you know, whatever, but I just couldn't let it go. I could not let it go. I was like, nope, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And then I was gardening one afternoon and a little birdie like whispered in my ear, like, oh, you have that money there. You could probably use that money for educational expenses. And sure enough, there was all this money that you could take out and not pay any fees or penalties on if you used it for education. So just that kind of, if you really want this bad enough, you'll find a way, you'll find a way. So I went to midwifery school, drove to Massachusetts from Connecticut all the time, loved that program. Suki Krause is amazing. Shout out to Suki Krause and um, <clears throat> Susan DeJoy, I think started that program, which was like such a ballsy, awesome thing to do, <laughs> you know, to, to, to start a whole midwifery program. Um, but graduated and then got a job at this like little miracle of a practice in Connecticut where midwives are respected. We're given plenty of time with our patients. We are allowed to practice autonomously, um, of course, with appropriate you know, uh, collaboration as you would want anywhere because we can't do this alone, right? We absolutely need our doctors. We need good support, but they don't micromanage us. And because they don't micromanage us, it just makes the environment really, really great. And then um, because that hospital is so heavily um, kind of infiltrated with midwives, if that's the right word, nearly 50% of all births done there are by, by certified nurse midwives. And there's a lot, I think we have, I don't know what the exact, exact numbers are, maybe 1500 babies per year. So nearly half of all of them are, are attended. All those births are attended by midwives. And our cesarean rate is 10% lower than the Connecticut state average. So it just you know, goes to show you when you practice a little bit differently and you're allowed to practice as a midwife, you can have, you can do great things. You can do great things. So mostly it's just really great to um, honor people's wishes, obviously safely. You know, I remember a hands and knees birth I did that when the, when it was all said and done and I saw the patient postpartum, she grabbed my arm and she said, thank you for letting me deliver that way. Thank you so much. They didn't let me do that before they, they forced me onto my back and it was just so much worse, like little things, kind of dumb things. I mean, if the baby's coming out, what what do you care what position the baby's coming out in? It does not increase the risk of harm to let a person deliver on their hands and knees. Anyone who thinks that, I'm really sorry. It's not true. So little things like that, delayed cord clamping. Delayed cord clamping is another big one, a thing that I'm really a, you know, an advocate for because I feel like um, that is such a simple and really important thing we can do to prevent babies from having anemia to, um, <clears throat> I mean, just think of it from kind of a common sense perspective. How do you feel when you, when your blood counts really low, you might feel lethargic. You might not feed as well. Your brain, you know, activity might not be as optimal, you know, little things like that, that, you know, midwives can make such a difference. The water birth thing, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of water birth. It's, simply because to be on your knees, delivering a baby with your hands, you know, elbow deep in the water. That's really the only reason, 
Um, it's not about safety. It's just that it's not my preference, but I always remind myself that it is not my birth. And we are here to protect and honor women's birth wishes. So I got to do it, <laughs> you know, and the right candidate, obviously, again, safely. So this is a big thing. You know, midwives can provide safe care. They can honor women's wishes. They can, you know, we already know, we already have all the data that says, you know, midwives have really good outcomes. So we don't, we don't need more of that. We just need more midwives. That's what we need in America. We need more midwives and we need more midwives who are allowed to practice as midwives because you can't take a midwife and make her practice like a resident and then expect midwifery outcomes. No offense to any residents. It's just, we do things a little differently. I love to have the residents come in with me so I can show them how we do things differently. You know, sometimes I don't check my patient for six hours. If they're not in active labor, why not? Eight hours. You don't need to. She's not in labor. Look at her face. You know, she's, she's not numb with an epidural and you don't know. She's just not in labor. So all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's my introduction, probably long and got into the meat of midwifery, but. It was good. It was very thorough. You answered many of the questions, but I think your story resonates with many, which is um, I was sick of seeing people treated a way that I knew was wrong. And I want to be a part of changing that. So that's probably why a lot of people are listening or people are looking towards midwifery because they're in that phase right now. Like I'm tired of this. So um, semantic questions. Did you have, I know you have kids, were they around when you went to midwifery school? When did you graduate? I guess both of those together. Great question. So graduated in 2017. So, so you definitely had kids. <laughs> yeah. So I was so thankful that I was a nurse when I had kids because nursing is awesome because of how flexible it is. So I worked 40 hours, then had my first baby girl, then cut down to 32, worked the evening shift, was able to, able to be with my baby all day, you know, in-laws, mom, you know, family come over, watch the baby until dad gets home from work. And that just worked. That worked really great. Then I went on to have a surprise twin pregnancy which was really hard. I cried that I was high risk, but all worked out in the end. <laughs> and um, then went down to 24 hours, you know, so I could cut my hours again, did a lot of extra weekends that people didn't want to do, you know, had 16 weeks of maternity leave both times. So being a nurse was a blessing for when I had kids, but I did decide to go back when they were little. Um, they were, I won't waste time with all of the math. They were um, not babies, but they were in elementary school when I decided to go back to midwifery school. Um, and that worked out nicely because, you know, school offered the opportunity for me to go up to Bay State. They usually had, um, you know, a, a, again, a parent, an in-law. My husband is self-employed. He owns his own business. So he was able to like be flexible with his hours. So that's what worked for us. Now, um, my schedule is 40 solid hours a week, a 24 hour call, which I would say 90 to 95% of the time I'm at the hospital for that call being such a busy practice and cross covering for a second practice. And of course, if you're covering, you know, clinic, anyone who shows up, then there's almost always something going on. So I will be at the hospital for 24 hours. We do have a call room as um, obviously, and then I work two office days. So two eight hour office days and a 24 hour call that I'm almost always present at the hospital. That's 40 hours a week. So it's very, very fair. Yeah. When I first started at that practice, we actually did three office days and a call. Um, and it was really draining and we, they had just sort of started cross covering for the second practice, which made it so much more busy. So we negotiated to drop to a 40 hour schedule and they acquiesced. I mean, they're just, they're fabulous. They're, they're fabulous. They're fair. They appreciate their midwives. So I, and you kept your pay the same and everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So Connecticut's a decent place to be a midwife. We have, we're allowed to work to our full, you know, scope of practice. Um, we're paid decently. I would say on average, a brand new grad 
starting a midwifery job in Connecticut is going to make a right around six figures. So somewhere between maybe 95,000 to like 110,000 as a new grad in Connecticut, <clears throat> depending on where you go, depending on if you're taking call, depending on if it's a large hospital system or a small practice, is it a federally you know, qualified center, like a Planned Parenthood, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But something like that, um, it's hard on your body. You know, if you're a midwife, you know that being up and long hours, especially with like emergencies and all the kind of stuff that happens, it is really physically hard on your body, which is why midwives don't last a long time. But, um, but when you have a practice like ours, that's so fair and that's so, um, <clears throat> you know, there with the hours, I think Mary, Mary is the midwife who originally started with Manchester OBGYN. I think she's been there 20 something years. I'd have to clarify with her to be sure. Um, but you know, you don't burn out when you're treated well. And this is something that I, I see kind of across the nation and I'm part of some threads with new midwives and midwives in other areas. And, uh, it's just not the way it is everywhere. It's really, really unfortunate because we have this great thing we can offer women and we have this shortage of obstetric providers on the horizon. That's actually terrifying. I mean, the, the, um, number of graduating obstetricians has remained flat since the seventies, at least that's my understanding. And more of them are women and women have children and they don't want to work necessarily as many hours for as many years. And that's okay. So, you know, we're, we're, we're even having trouble finding another doctor as one of our physicians gets close to retirement age. So, you know, you know, that this shortage is on the horizon. What's the solution here? The solution is so simple. It's so simple. A specialty that, that, you know, are experts in normal birth and women's health that you can train in, you know, two to four years. Well, not, not including undergrad, obviously, but <clears throat> as opposed to a physician who takes, you know, double or triple that time, whatever the actual numbers are to train, you can train someone you know, like a midwife to, to know this in and out expertly who knows when to call for help with, with known safe outcomes. And why isn't there a inner, like a, you know, a government-wide push for this? Why haven't we doubled the amount of programs? Why aren't we talking about this all the time? You know, this is, this is, are we really going to wait until it's like danger zone before, before we, you know, think about a solution and the solution, I'm sorry, <clears throat> it's not laborous, you know, random family practice doctors who are laborious or, you know, teaching PAs how to catch a baby. That's not the solution. That's not going to, give women what they want. And that's not going to give us the same outcomes. You have to have an expert in normal birth. That's what you need. You need an expert in normal birth running the hospital with doctors on call with her or him who, you know, that work as a team and beautifully manage whatever comes through the door. That's the solution. It's so easy to me. It's so clear to me, but, uh, you know, it does seem very clear, but there definitely is areas where that's just, I mean, midwifery doesn't even exist in some places. People don't even know what a midwife is. When is that going to change? You know, we're still delivering in the single digits of the percentage of total deliveries in the nation. That's crazy when it seems so clear that that's the answer. So as far as Connecticut, um, I'm sure you can't answer for the whole state, but do you feel, oh, and let's also mention you're the president of, that's important because you probably have lots of information that not everybody might not know. You're the president of the ACNM chapter of Connecticut, right? Yes, which sounds really fancy. <laughs> it does. <laughs> But it's not. Um, it's a volunteer position. I mean, you do get you do get elected, but there's not a lot of competition. Um, and so I am the current sitting ACNM president for Connecticut affiliate. Okay. 
AM is, as all midwives know, the American College of Nurse Midwives. Um, we had a really big thing happen this last year. <clears throat> and that is that, the, and, and this has been in the works for years, but we pushed and advocated for and gave public testimony to get a bill passed for pay parity for midwives. So in Connecticut, this is specifically referring only to Medicaid, um, um, which is, you know, state, that's like state insurance, Husky, we call it here. In Connecticut, in, uh, for Medicaid patients, the whole global package, the pregnancy, the birth, and the postpartum care was docked 10% if a midwife attended the birth. And this is still pretty normal with all the private insurers. But in all the other states around us, um, <clears throat> or almost all the other states around us, there was already pay parity achieved. So they, you know, because we're a big practice, we have five doctors and five nurse midwives, soon to be a sixth. You know, a patient could come in for 14 prenatal visits and she could see doctors six or seven times and then see a midwife a few times, or she could ask to see the same two people, or she could only have seen midwives. And then she could you know, when she delivers, if her birth's attended by a midwife, the whole, the whole fee is docked 10% just because I'm standing in the room attending the birth, as opposed to my colleague. Um, same thing for, you know, again, and, and private insurers pay different amounts, but when Medicaid moves forward with pay parity, generally private payers eventually follow suit. So that's good. So we achieved pay parity in the state of Connecticut for nurse midwives delivering, you know, attending births, which is so fabulous. It was really exciting when all that happened. That is um, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Good and job. It was a team effort. It was not definitely not, you know, I, yeah, those I, things I, usually are. I, people. I happened to walk in at the right time, um, you know, but it really had nothing to do solely with me. Um, so that was exciting. And, um, you know, the Connecticut affiliate is, is always a resource for anyone who would like to become a midwife or for patients who want to know more about midwifery. Actually, I would say the number one place patients could get really good information about midwives is midwife.org, which is our ACNM, you know, headquarter website. That one has all kinds of patient information about what midwives do, you know, that's another thing, the public, right? So you just said in some places, midwives, midwifery doesn't even exist. I can't tell you how many people in Connecticut where we have really pretty good midwifery coverage, how many people when I was going to school said to me, oh, are you going to do home births? Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, um, isn't that lower than a nursing degree? you know, the public just has no, um, awareness that, you know, of what we can, of what we do, of what we do and what we can offer them. So I always try to kind of, I know a lot of midwives don't like the APRN label. They don't, they want, they say midwifery is its own specialty. I don't want to be called a, a mid-level provider. And I don't want to be called an advanced practice nurse. What midwives do is, special to midwifery, you know, kind of, like I said, a few minutes ago, we're experts in normal birth and women's health and pregnancy. True, but the community understands the way they understand. So, you know, to some degree, I'm, it doesn't bother me. In fact, I have to use that term. So people understand what I do. I have to say, I'm an advanced practice registered nurse and my specialty is midwifery. And I attend births and I take care of women and I prescribe birth control. Like, oh, you can prescribe medications. I mean, they just really have no concept of, of you know, what this role is. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother me to, to explain it that way. I think it's more, um, it's helping to kind of lift the veil about, you know, midwifery and what midwives can do. And it doesn't mean that you know, um, CPMs, you know, certified professional midwives don't have a really important place in the midwifery model. I mean, even that whole idea that the term midwife means so many different things to so many different people, that's hard. That's really hard. Um, for a long time, you know, some people were saying, well, maybe we should call them licensed midwives as opposed to lay midwives, but that kind of comes off as condescending. And then other people, you know, well, um, <clears throat> 
you know, we should always use the term certified nurse. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is except for education, you know, um, and, and more and more, you know, being out there more and more kind of sharing our call and what we do, what we can provide. So I always tell women, I can take care of you during, you know, your, well, midwives take care of women throughout their lifespan from adolescence to postmenopausal. We can care for women through their entire pregnancy. We can attend their birth. We can see them postpartum. They may never need to see a physician. Physicians um, are absolutely essential. We cannot work without them. We have to have them. We have to have these respectful collegial relationships with them, but you don't necessarily need to see a surgeon or an obstetrician to have a healthy pregnancy and birth. And, you know, that's just kind of been lost in our country, but I think it'll, it'll, if we, if we work hard enough, if we fight hard enough, it'll, it will happen. You know, you just can't give up. No, but why does it have to be a fight? Why can't it just be <laughs> accepting? Good point. Yes. Good. <clears throat> so in Connecticut, as far as, like I was saying, you can't answer for this whole entire state, I'm sure. But um, do you feel like how you're saying you have a good work-life balance? Is that the general consensus in Connecticut? And like, what would be, what do you love about working there? Um, I would say, I don't want to speak for every other midwife in Connecticut, but I think that it's a good state to be a midwife in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are some states where midwives can't even write for durable medical equipment. Mm -hmm. Can't even get your patient in, um, a glucometer and, and strips or a breast pump in some states. I mean, that's pathetic. That's, that's impeding care, right? You don't need a surgeon to talk to women about constipation and pregnancy. That's just silly, you know? <laughs> and hopefully as time goes on, what I, what I really want and what I really love about my practice is that for the most part, there isn't that competitive feeling of the midwives are encroaching on our territory and, you know, they're going to take over obstetrics and they're going to take our patients and they're going to take our revenue. It's literally the opposite. You know, the, the, the physician, um, who brought in midwives, Dr. Welling, it's my understanding. His father was also an obstetrician and his father said the secret is the midwives. So, it just, they get it that like, we are help. We are help when we're on call together. Um, all that weight and like having to do everything by yourself when it's really busy, that falls off of them. We're a team. I do my best to get them a good night's sleep, uh, when I can, you know, to, to be thankful for how much respect that they've given to me. Um, so that's what I love about it is that we're just a team and it works so well, it works so well. So instead of that idea that midwives are going to come in and take over and take all the patients away, it's like docs, see it as how can, how much we can improve your lives, your quality of life will improve significantly. If you're on call twice a week and you have a midwife with you, you might just get, you know, double the sleep. You might have to do half the workload. Uh, you, you know, you're, you could see less patients in the office. You maybe, you know, I mean, all, all the different benefits that come with having a midwife that come with that sort of teamwork and collaboration. I wish more practices would see that. I, I really do. I wish they would see that. I, there's just this competition. We'll never, we can never replace obstetricians. There are surgeons, there are, you know, people we look to for high-risk care. We, we can't work without you. You can work without us. You can work without us and it's hard because it's busy and it's hard on your body. Like back to what I said before, or you can work with us, but we can never work without you. We can never, you know, essentially even, even a home birth midwife has to have ideally a collaborating position. Emergencies happen. Everyone knows this. You have to have someone who can manage those emergencies. So that's my favorite thing about this practice is the respect, the ability to be a real midwife you know, the, the, um, if I ask for something that, and it's reasonable, they say, yes, you know, those kinds of things are, they're invaluable. 
So in your time of practice, because I can really hear how much you love um, what you do and where you practice. So that is very impactful in how you grow and perceive midwifery. Would you say, how would you say your why you became a midwife? You said, I, I don't like how people are being treated. I want to change that. How would you say that's grown and changed since you've been practicing yourself? It's not, it's not something I ever think about anymore. I mean, sometimes I feel sad for how women are treated other places, to be honest, but it's gone. It went away because I, because right. Isn't, isn't that, um, you know, an ancient wise man, not an ancient wise man. There's a, there's a current wise man who always says, I think it's Eckhart Tolle, you know, you either accept your situation or you change it. All else is madness. You know, you can't just fight against it and be miserable, like either accept it or do something different. So I did something different and now I can give these women amazing births and guess what? They get to eat in labor and, you know, they get to be as mobile as absolutely possible. And I ask them first, do they have any preferences for labor induction or things they want me to do or not do? And I can provide, you know, delayed cord clamping. I will never forget a birth where a woman wanted delayed cord clamping and she asked for it. And the physician said, we're not doing that here. And he cut the, and he clamped the cord the second the baby was born. And it's like, now that's the standard of care. At least 30 to 60 seconds, which isn't enough <laughs> in my opinion, but you know, I just, that's, it's, it's heavy kind of, you know, the, the, this idea of we're, we were trained in healthcare and therefore, you know, we're the, you know, we're the God, we're going to do whatever we want. And what you say, I mean, if someone's asking for something completely unreasonable, that's, that's another situation, but that's not, that's not the case. So I left all of that madness and now I can give women great things. Um, so I don't worry about that too much anymore, other than, um, other than I would love to be part of expanding midwifery in America. You know, I'd love to, to get what we have at our little hospital and our little practice to every single, you know, state in America. I mean, how cool would that be? You know, that, that would be, that would be probably my ultimate like goal is to just share this and, and kind of create the solutions. Cause we know what the solutions are. We know how good it looks. Um, but again, there's this of like we're going to take over the numbers we're going to take over the money so then so then you know then then it moves into so then midwives have to be controlled you know they can't they they can't work without uh you know a doctor signing off on everything and they they have to work under us and we'll we won't let them have independent practice and you know because it's all this competition idea so that that kind of stuff you know it has to they have to you know the doctors all over have to understand there's a shortage of you and we can help make your life so much better and then i think that would open the door if people really understood that well you're helping to grow midwifery by sharing your story on this tiny little podcast because i hear people tell me all the time i get regular communication how much all of your stories inspire them or if they are feeling frustrated or kind of, you know, at the end of their rope, they um, hear these stories and can move forward with inspiration. So you're, you're making a change. Yeah. Good. Um, okay, so tell me um, how you feel that being a nurse helped you prepare and made, your, made you be the way you are as a midwife today? That is such a great question. Um, I am so thankful for my experience as a labor and delivery nurse, no matter, no matter how, um, I won't even say that. I am so thankful for it because I was able to watch and learn from so many people, lots of doctors, lots of residents. And I was able to learn how to do birth beautifully, if, if that makes sense, and how to completely screw it up and ruin the energy in the room. And, you know, for example, um, episiotomies. I have still, as a midwife, never cut an episiotomy in four years. 
Now I know that that day will come someday. There will be some baby, you know, in distress that I can't fix it. Um, and I'm, and I may, or, or something will happen that I'll have to, but I haven't yet. And that that's come from all the years of watching how providers attended birth and how they protected the perineum and how they didn't protect the perineum. So, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll, that was so great to be a part of and kind of come to an understanding of over the years was that calm is a superpower. So being calm is so much more powerful than frantic mess. Um, when, um, I, when I'm in a room and the baby starts deselling and, you know, we're close to birth or whatever, but the, it's getting to a point where it could be stressful, too stressful on the baby. I used to watch people, okay, faster, harder, push, push, push more, turn up the pit, get the vacuum, cut in the peas, rip it. And instead I do everything the opposite, turn off the pit, turn her position, stop pushing, give the baby a break. You know, sometimes give her a little O2, whatever. But I do everything the opposite of that frantic rushing. Now, if there's a truly a problem, if we're erupting or we've got something, a serious medical emergency going on, of course, I'll grab my physician. But a lot of times it was just too much pit. The baby couldn't get a break. She was, you know, hyperstimulated um, or, you know, whatever. So I do the opposite and almost, I mean, every time I'm still never cutting a piece out of me and I don't have bad babies. I don't have babies that need to be resuscitated. Um, you know, it, it, probably less, I, I mean, it's so rare that it's probably, I don't have my exact numbers, but it's probably less than the average, but it's definitely not more. So, you know, just that like hot compresses, patience waiting. And over time, it's like, I learned the feeling of as the baby, you know, as the, as the largest part of the diameter of the head finally starts to come through, you can see it, you can feel it. Women are made to do this. You don't need to cut them and you don't need to fix it, you know, unless it's broken. You don't need to fix it unless it's broken. And being calm is a superpower and, you know, giving the baby a break and changing position. That's another huge one. If, if the, you know, mom's having D cells because she's got an epidural and she's pushing on her back, push on her side. We get women in hands and knees position with epidurals all the time all the time, because if, as long as they can support their weight, we help them, they're in bed, it's okay. You know, some people haven't even ever thought to do this and we do everything we can to minimize stress, you know, to the baby and keep that, you know, keep that birth as um, atraumatic as possible. So that's my favorite thing about, that, about being a nurse is that I, it was like this, it was like this super extended residency. I do feel bad sometimes for midwives who get very little training, who don't have any birth background, and then they get thrust into, you know, the birth world. And that can be hard because it's just like, you know, you got to see it. You got to see a lot of stuff to really understand how to manage it um, or how not to manage it, how to kind of, you know, hands off and that sort of thing. So I'm really thankful for those experiences and for watching different people. I have my favorite people in my mind, you know, who did birth so beautifully and who were so patient and not frantic and spastic. And they're my like, you know, role models. That was a good, good summary. I like that. And another thing I would say too, is um, just to piggyback on what you're saying is really understanding the physiology behind, behind fetal monitoring. I mean, you don't always have to monitor, but when you do or continuous, I should say, you should always monitor. Um, that's exactly what you're doing. You're understanding why am I seeing what I'm seeing on that strip and how can I change that and not freak out about it? And what happens on the other side of that? If you are having a D cell for, you know, during contractions for the last 15 minutes, the baby will be fine, but not everybody addresses it that way. So I think that's really, really important. And that that's what I hear you saying too, is all that experience and everything you'd seen that came with you. Yeah. I mean, the fetal monitoring bit, I feel really thankful to have had a sound. Um, Jane Montgomery was the one who trained me in fetal monitoring. And she was one of the original researchers when they put sheep, fetal lambs, sheep on the monitor and actually asphyxiated them and watched what oh, happened. That's, that's sad. Where fetal monitoring came from is a bit sad, but 
he had such an understanding and it's like, is the baby good? Is the baby bad? Or do you not know? Like this is physiologic. It's okay for babies to hang out in the nineties for a while while pushing, you know, what does the variability look like? I mean, there are people, I, that's something that's, <laughs> that's tough because, um, I feel really thankful that I have a strong understanding of fetal monitoring and I'm not sure that everybody has that. And so then there comes this fear in, well, what if, you know, I, you know, something bad happens. So I've got to, again, hurry it up, pull it out, cut faster, push, you know, that whole kind of thing where it's like, nah, the baby's fine. This baby's fine, you know, or this baby's not fine. So that's fetal monitoring. It's a whole nother podcast. It is. And I know it can be, people don't have their reasons for not liking it. And I can respect that. Um, I'm on the side that thinks that it is indicated at times. You're probably there too. Um, so yeah, that is a whole nother podcast and another class and all the things that people should take as they think that all those um, fetal monitoring are important. But anyway, <laughs> um, so that was a good answer. Um, so for aspiring midwives, midwifery students, whatever, new midwives, what is your advice to them? Awesome question. All right. This job is very serious, like very hard. And it's very, uh, I'm looking for a word that means serious, but it means like, you know, special like this. Don't do this job because you like babies. Don't, don't go into this work because you, you know, you saw your sister have a baby and it was cool. Like go into this work because you love taking care of women because you're brave, because it is hard. It is really hard. But, um, if you have, if you feel this pull and it won't let you quit, then you got to do it. You got to find a way and you got to do it because we're, you know, we're all, we all have our little niche and different ways of helping people and different ways of, um, you know, normalizing midwifery and bringing midwifery. We need more midwives for sure. So um, I would encourage people to consider it as a career and a profession. Um, but I just want to warn you that it's not all sunshine and roses, although it's incredibly rewarding work. It's hard. Would you add, suggest, encourage that people really try to be patient and find a job that doesn't look like it's going to burn them out. Yeah. I mean, I always tell my midwifery students, I've had a few already only doing this for four years. They just, once you take some, they won't stop asking you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another problem is we don't have enough preceptors for midwives, yes. but uh, I always tell them there's no, there's no wrong first job. So don't be overly picky necessarily okay. with your first job. But if it doesn't feel right for you, take the time to find something that will fit. But, but yeah, no, cause, cause experience is, is, is experience and that's, um, essential really. So, you know, I'd rather someone get a job doing something they don't love than get no job or work as a nurse. I mean, that's, that's, um, not going to promote their skills as a right. clinician, a practitioner, and it's not going to you know, potentially like move them forward. I mean, there's people that have to do that for short amounts of time. Like I know because of the pandemic, there was some midwives working as, as travel nurses because they could make so much money and, you know, for a short time, that's fine. But if you really want to do this work, you gotta, you gotta, um, find a place that will let you be a midwife that will let you midwife, you know, it's, it's, and hopefully more and more, um, practices will start hiring midwives as the pay parity. So pay the pay parity thing was really big because it was incentivizing practices not to use midwives. Cause why would I use a midwife if I'm going to get docked when she does a birth, why would I hire her? And so insurers have to understand midwives result in higher rates of breastfeeding, lower rates of epidural use, lower rates of cesarean section. We save you money. And yet you're incentivizing practices not to hire us. That's a mistake. Yeah. You know, I, I, I said, I'll put on, you know, a suit and heels and go talk to all these execs. Like they're, they're, you know, they're in the wrong camp, man. They're batting for the wrong team. Um, 
So hopefully all of that stuff kind of comes, you know, forward in the future. I would love to hear you. I don't know if you have, forgive me. I'd love to hear you interview Ginger Breedlove. I have. have. Yes. And also she was my instructor when I was a midwife student. Gosh. So she interviewed with me, I think, I think it was in 2020 sometime. I'll have to go back and find that. That's really great. He is yeah i mean single-handedly i see her as someone who is actively working to promote midwifery and improve the profession you know a lot of people are talking about it she's doing it so i kind of that's exciting that's eventually where i could see myself moving towards something that helps to get more midwives across this country get more programs across this country um teach even teach even going in and teaching residents how to do a birthright. You know, that's a beautiful thing about Bay State Medical Center is the midwives teach all the first year residents what normal birth looks like. Yes. You know, how to protect the perineum, how to deliver in hands and knees, how to use hot compresses. It sounds like hot compresses, right? That's like saying, take, take vitamin D. Yeah. It, it's helpful. It yeah. works. <laughs> take and it. You know, I had Suki on, right? So she shared. Oh, I, um, I, I mean, yeah, I, Give me, I haven't it's okay. been busy writing a book, um, Good for you. second opinions with the whole COVID pandemic, um, which may not be the most, you know, so that'll be coming shortly, okay. but that's what I've been spending all my time and effort doing as in addition to raising three children, yeah. trying to keep kids healthy and normal through this craziness and work full-time. So I didn't listen to all of your podcasts. Okay. I was just sharing that Suki has been on. Um, and so she shared how Bay State was set up and how the program worked and it does sound great. So if anyone wants to know specifics, they need to go back and listen to that one. So it's good to hear from all of you from Bay State. Great program. Great program. We need programs like that around the country. I'm sure she talks because that's something that was on her, you know, mind. And I think they were actively working towards doing all of these facilities that have residents should be having midwifery programs. Yeah, totally agree. Okay. I think we got it all. Anything else to add? No, thank you for having me on. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. All right, listeners, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I have plenty more lined up, so keep listening. And don't forget to go and check out a midwifenation.com for her new book that she released this week called The Successful Student Midwife. Also, there's a ton of other resources on her website for you to use, whether you're a new midwife, an aspiring midwife, a longtime practicing midwife, so much available resources on there. So also I'm loving the emails you all have been sending me to journey to midwifery podcast at gmail.com. I'm, I love hearing from you all. I love the positive feedback. So keep them coming my way and I'm continuing my list of potential midwives to come onto the podcast. So keep those sending my way too. until next time.